Uh, let's pray uh, before we jump into the Word of God together. <clears throat> God, now more than ever, today more than yesterday, I'm just thankful for truth, uh, for a firm foundation upon which to stand. Um, I'm thankful that we are not tossed about by the waves to and fro, but we stand firm uh, on the rock, on your truth, um, regardless of what comes our way, uh, our confidence remains unshaken uh, because it is in you and you are unchanging. Our peace remains stable because you have given us a peace beyond understanding. And our joy is full because our joy is found in you and you never fail. You have not forsaken us. You will not forsake us. And uh, so we thank you uh, for your word we thank you for truth relevant to our current context, and I ask this morning uh, as we uh, take a few minutes together uh, to, to dive into your word and to seek understanding that you would illuminate. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, the kids stuff. Oh, that's right. I'm going to mention that too. Um, of course, we don't have kids program today. Our kids material, the videos are on the Kids on the Rock uh, Facebook page. Uh, so you can go there now if you want and actually pull that up uh, for your kids so they can watch uh, their uh, lesson for today. And by the way, thanks Christy for pulling all that together. She's been just rocking the online resources. I was leaving this building um, probably about two months ago. Um, I was walking out the front door to my car and a vehicle had pulled into the parking lot and had parked out in the center of the parking lot. And uh, a gal that I did not recognize was uh, approaching me and uh, uh, called me by name and asked if we could have a conversation or asked if she could speak to me for a minute. Um, she was wearing a mask. Uh, I didn't recognize her and she actually began the interaction by saying, I'm, I'm not gonna tell you my name, uh, but I know who you are and I just want to have a brief conversation with you. And uh, what an exciting way to start an interaction, right? <laughs> so, um, so I asked her, I said, well, what's, what's on your mind? Like, what, uh, what brought you here to, to find me to have a conversation? And she said, uh, I'm very concerned. And then she began to unpack sort of the nature of her concern. And it basically what it boiled down to was this. We talked for maybe 
I would say 15 or 20 minutes. My concern is this, is that social bonds of, of respect and, and love and kindness are deteriorating. And my observation is, this is her telling me, my observation is, is that plenty of the damage that's being done is being done by people who claim to believe what you claim to believe. People who would call themselves Christians. Who are engaging for sure, but engaging in a way that's destructive, that's harmful, uh, that is uh, unloving, that is uh, angry. She sort of itemized for me some of those like specific concerns. And um, she got done with a list of the things that were bothering her. And I said, uh, most of those things that you just described are of concern to me too. Uh, in fact, um, I would say that we actually have a lot of agreement um, that there are some people from, from my perspective, uh, sort of my worldview, some people from your worldview, who are not engaging the matters of the day in a way that is productive but rather in a way that's destructive and harmful to relationships, especially in a small community. And at the end of the conversation, she said to me, I, I honestly, I don't even know what I'm asking for. I just needed to share my concern with someone who comes from a different sort of philosophical standpoint than me. <clears throat> What I want to cover today, uh, so I actually had three things that I wanted to cover today, and the first two, I couldn't cram into the 25-minute time frame that we're on now, so I'm just going to cover the two of them, and then next week I'm going to jump into the last one. But this is what I'm going to offer you. I'm going to offer you three values of the kingdom that should drive the way that we engage the world around us. You should be ticked off, despairing, and generally sad. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm going to give you <laughs> I'm going to give you three values that uh, I, I honestly I can't do these right in the time limitations that we have, but I'm going to offer these to you as a springboard for your further study as to what it looks like to embrace this as a value of the kingdom of God and then have this as a channel of engagement into the community and the world around me. So the first value that I want to address, and I, I'm, I'm starting at this point not only because it's central to our understanding of the kingdom of God, but it's a value that's discussed a lot today, 
and often in ways that are inconsistent with the way that the Bible describes the same value, and that is the value of justice. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's been a little bit of discussion as of late on the topic of justice. What is justice? So again, I'm going to give you just kind of an introduction to kind of steer some thoughts. But if you want to, um, if you want to grow in your capacities, I would suggest this book here. It's a pretty good read. Uh, mine is titled The Holy Bible. Yours might be entitled The New American Standard Bible. Um, but there's lots more uh, to discover. So justice. First, I want to give you, I'm going to give you this definition in two parts. In the Old Testament, particularly, this is a critical uh, piece of our understanding of justice. The way that the word justice is used particularly in the Old Covenant, is actually lumped in linguistically with the term righteousness. So when we say that God is just, usually, biblically, what they're saying is that God is righteous. What I mean by that is that, so if, if something is just or righteous, what we're saying is that it conforms to the moral character of God. So righteousness is conformity to God's moral character. And in the same way, justice is anything that conforms to the moral character of God. When we say that God is just, what we're saying is that he acts in accordance with his moral character. That he always acts consistently with his moral character. Because he is righteous. Deuteronomy 32.4. The rock, his work is perfect. For all of his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. Not only is he a God who always acts consistently with his moral character. But he never acts inconsistently with his moral character. So in this sense of the word, to pursue justice externally in the world around me is to pursue conformity to God's righteous moral character. I'm going to unpack this a little bit so it's not too abstract. What I said last week was that the power of God for social transformation is the same as it is for individual transformation. And this goes, this is, this is true when it comes to pursuing God's justice or being an agent of God's justice. If I want to see God's righteous moral standard applied, abided by in the world around me, I must first see that happen in my own life. As I am conformed to his moral character, I can pursue conformity to his moral will, his moral standard in the world around me. In fact, as God brings you to life in Jesus, your heart longs to see God's righteous moral will brought to bear on the world around you. 
years ago, I was uh, riding uh, the Chicago uh, L train, the red line, from my stop at my apartment down to Moody Bible Institute. And I was standing on the train, and there was uh, a young couple sitting next to me having a very quiet but very intense argument. And I realized uh, after inadvertently, I mean, we're crammed into the train, so I can't escape. After inadvertently hearing the nature of their argument, I realized after a little bit that, that he was... Uh, he was trying to persuade the girl to abort a baby that she was carrying. Oddly enough, I had Selah uh, wrapped in my uh, baby Bjorn in my winter coat, and she was riding with me because I was headed downtown to uh, meet Jenny. And in that moment, I realized that here is an instance where uh, one person is putting pressure on another person to do something that does not conform with God's moral character. And I can actually interject into that scenario in a way that promotes conformity to God's moral character. But I can't do that by abandoning his moral character for myself, right? I actually leaned down. She got up. Uh, finally, in a, in, a, in a moment of frustration, she actually got up and ran from the train and left him by himself. The doors closed. Um, and so I, I leaned down to him, and I showed him Selah's face. She was probably four months old at the time. And I said, uh, she's one of my greatest joys. Uh, I know what you're pursuing, but I would say don't. I would say it's not worth it. To pursue justice is to promote conformity to God's moral will. The way that justice is often discussed now, when I hear it, is in terms of fairness. But biblical justice is not usually a matter of fairness. So, for example, Matthew 5.41, Jesus says, when a, when a Roman soldier would, who has the power to do this, when he comes to you and he says, I want you to carry my stuff for a mile, that was the limit that the Roman government had said, you can make the Jews carry your stuff, your coat or your belongings, for up to a mile, but no further. And so, Roman soldier, you'd be walking down Pioneer Avenue, having a grand old time, and you pass the soldier, and he'd grab you and say, I want you to carry my stuff uh, to Bedarka. And Jesus says, without addressing the fairness of that scenario, he actually says, if you want to do what is consistent with God's moral character, go above and beyond and offer to carry it for two miles. We react sort of viscerally to fairness or unfairness. I heard just after our vice presidential debate this week, I heard a commentator say, 
Uh, Mike Pence was dismissive of women in a typically evangelical way. And I thought, that's not fair. In Luke 16, you know the story of the unjust steward. He was, he was owed, he owed money and he was owed money, but what he owed to his master was exponentially larger than what was owed to him. He goes to his master and he, ble- he begs for mercy and he says, please forgive me, there's no way that I can pay this on time. And his master gives him mercy and then he turns to those who owed him and he throws them in prison for their inability to pay a much smaller amount. When Jesus comments on this scenario, the reason the unjust steward is in trouble is not because it wasn't fair for him to require that of those people. It was because he did not act in a way consistent with the way the master act. He was not he was not acting consistently with the moral character of the master who had, who, had, who had treated him in a particular way. God's justice is his righteousness. It's acting consistently with his righteous character. Number two, the second part of this definition is that God's justice is also his rightness in serving out rewards and punishment which God will ultimately do perfectly. Romans 2.16, Paul says, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. And everything will be brought under judgment through Christ. And he is just in doing that. Here's the problem. In the meantime, it is... Uh, men and women in positions of power who serve out rewards and punishment. And they do so imperfectly. And they do so in ways at times that seems unjust. Romans 13, beginning of verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which do exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists that authority is opposing that which God has ordained. What Paul is arguing is that if you're going to pursue justice or God's moral will in the world around you from a political standpoint, you can't do that while abandoning conformity to his character for your own life. Deconstructionism suggests that all power structures are abusive and therefore must be forcibly dismantled, that that is justice, is to is to bring down human structures of authority. Which doesn't explain the story of Joseph, the story of Moses, the story of Daniel, the story of Nehemiah. All of these men who stood for what is just, for what is right, who pursued the moral will of God, not just for themselves, but through their roles 
in the context of serving ungodly kings. The apostles broke the law repeatedly by preaching the gospel, but even they accepted that those in authority had the right to execute consequences. They owned those consequences. There is no structure or system of man that will save us. To deconstruct one system and replace it with another without the power of the gospel having its effect on our lives and on our leaders, there simply is no hope. But as believers, we dare not end our political engagement with justice, because the gospel is more. The second value that we must have as a driving force in the way that we engage our world is mercy. Can any Christian have any informed discussion about justice without talking about mercy and not be a hypocrite? It's not possible. Our entire gospel message is that God in his justness, without compromising his moral character, has shown us undeserved goodness and blessing. I would suggest that most discussions about social justice, the term social justice, are actually discussions about the ministry of mercy. Because when we help those who are disenfranchised, we're actually not, in a technical sense, passing a verdict on the fairness of their situation. We're simply saying, regardless of why, I'm going to intervene out of mercy. That's gospel engagement. We don't just point our finger and say, that's unfair, that's wrong. We engage, we intervene, because we know that we can't afford any discussion on justice that doesn't include a heavy dose of mercy. We have faith that we will ultimately receive that which we do not deserve, but that which was given to us through Christ. The Bible from start to finish is packed with instructions about what it looks like to show mercy. Leviticus 25, look it up, several different verses. It talks about what to do when one of the Jews becomes poor through decisions that they've made. And it never, it does not dissect how they got there. It just simply says, show them mercy. If they get to the point where they have to sell them slaves and or sell themselves into slavery to survive financially, you must intervene on behalf of your neighbor and show mercy on him. Don't let him end up there. Intervene on his behalf. 
when Paul went to, to Jerusalem to confirm that he was preaching the correct gospel, the disciples, the apostles said, yes, you are preaching the, the right gospel. We just ask one thing, don't forget about the poor. Don't forget the ministry of mercy. That when you're preaching the good news, it must be couched in mercy for those who are without. Jesus actually characterizes his whole message as a message of good news to those in need of mercy, those in need of saving. Luke 5.31, it's not the well that need a physician. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners, the ones who are pleading for God's mercy. Luke 18.13, we have the two men praying, the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee says, I am so much like God. Lucky me. The tax collector says, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Our gospel is a gospel of mercy. If the way that you engage on political issues is not saturated in mercy, then I would suggest that's not a particularly Christian view on a matter. Because our message is good news to the undeserving. And here's the deal. It's actually with a very rich belief in the necessity of mercy that many people today are politically shifting towards a more socialist view. Because they understand socialism to be a system within which there is more mercy for those who are disenfranchised. There is more help for them. We see income inequity. We believe the rich have become too rich and the poor have become too poor. Something must be done. And where we get into error is we believe that if we were to, and this goes back to my teachings from the last two weeks, if we were to take power away from massively powerful corporations and give it to a massively powerful government, that that would be a better situation for ensuring that those in need receive mercy. And I would say yet again, if your confidence, there can be all kinds of discussion about what level of social aid should be provided to those in need through our government, sure. But if your confidence is that there is a structure of man, a system of man that will, that will eradicate the influence of, the, of human nature, your hope will be disappointed. The only hope we have is lay people and leaders transformed from death to life who are living in light of the gospel 
a life of love. The what I have heard, the discussion surrounding some of the pitfalls of a capitalist market versus some of the benefits of socialism. Um, I want to say that some of the motivation in that of moving uh, from one to another is uh, comes from a place of a godly motivation, and that is that those who have who have too little would have more. Which leads us into our third value, which we don't have time to cover this morning, um, but to, to unpack this fully, we have to dive into it, so we'll do this next week, and that is the value of freedom. God is a God, is a God of justice. God is a God of mercy. And God is a God of freedom. Freedom is bedrock to the message of the gospel. And freedom is bedrock to the expansion of the kingdom of God, an environment of freedom. In solving for the issue of mercy, in solving for the issue of justice, if your solution uh, is one that diminishes or even abolishes freedom, that is not a gospel perspective. Freedom is one of the most fundamental, important, and foundational gifts given to us by God on the basis of which we have relationship with him. So what we're going to do next week Sorry we don't have time today. We're going to jump into uh, what freedom looks like, promoting an environment of freedom, um, and then engaging our world on behalf of a confidence and belief uh, in God-given freedom. Until then, this is what I would ask quite simply. Number one, as you're engaging your world, uh, wishing to see God's moral will brought to bear on the world around you. Keep a similar effort to see it brought to bear in your own life. Number two, don't walk away from any opportunity to have a political discussion or engagement or conversation without showing mercy in the way that you engage, in the way that you discuss, in the way that you uh, promote a certain set of ideals. God, we don't want to simply be those who hold up your, your law, your will, And with, with calloused hearts, hold that standard up to the world around us. We don't want to be those who, applying that standard, uh, point a finger of condemnation. 
We want to be those who, who invite a response to you. We want to be those who, who uphold your moral standard without compromising compassion and mercy for those who are lost, for those who are blind. We don't want to be the people who are just correct. We want to be people who are right with you in our hearts and who act out of the same heart towards our community, towards our, towards our nation, towards our world. Would we be people who promote justice and who promote mercy, who do justice, who love mercy, and as a result, who walk humbly as your followers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. Um, I want to give you the prayer hotline number. Do you have that? Can you pull that up? You don't have to put it on the screen, per se, but um, if you could just tell it to me, uh, I'll tell everyone here before we go. I should have it written down, but but I don't. I believe it's a four, three, five. What is it? Four, three, five. Four, three, two, three. So four, three, five, four, three, two, three. If you uh, would like prayer, uh, we have people uh, standing by that would love to pray with you. Uh, give that number a call. If no one answers, just leave a quick message or send a text, and someone will get back to you right away. Keep us in your prayers uh, as a church. We love you. Uh, thanks to my couple of guys for coming in this morning and helping with this. God bless, and we'll be in touch through the week.